0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. The book of Job. When was it written? Unknown. What time period does it cover? Unknown. Who wrote it? Unknown. Now, the Holy Spirit of God, yes. The Holy Spirit of God authored it. Who was the human writer? Unknown. Who was the original target audience? Unknown. Now, what happens as time goes on? I mean, Job is not a Jewish man. He's from the land of Uz. It's not that's not anywhere near where the Jews would where the Jews would be. His three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, um, they're not Jewish. Now, Elihu, he kind of shows up towards the end. He's not Jewish either, but he has a Jewish name, which is interesting. But all those things are unknown. And in many ways, when you think about it, the unknowns of these basic facts of the book go along with the message of the entire book, which is there are a lot of things that we will never know. And we just need to learn how to trust. It all. So we read Job chapter 1, verse 1, and of course I closed my Bible, so now I need to find it again. But when we get to the book of Job, we have transitioned out of the historical books and we are venturing into the books of wisdom. There are three books of wisdom in the Bible. Teen boys, do we know one of those three books? I already gave you one. Job. Very good, Cole. Way to go. What's the next one, Riley? Any idea? No, no, skip one. Proverbs, there's one, and then what's the next one right after that? No, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, three books of wisdom. Now, when you think about those three books in the Bible, I I believe that many understand the basic purpose of each of those books of wisdom, but many also get lost in exactly what is being said in all of those books, and maybe why it's being said. So take Job, for example. And I asked some this morning, I'll, I'll ask this as well. So on a scale of 1 to 3, no, let's do 1 to 5. 1 being not confident at all, 5 being very confident. And I want to gauge you, because I want to see how deep we need to get into this. I have very deep notes. If I don't have to get too deep, we won't. But how many of you would say, I'm about a 1 to a 2 about the, uh, the book of Job? I don't know a lot about it. Anybody? Livy, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Anybody else? Miss Eva, okay. All right, Miss Tiffany, okay. How would how you say a three? I, I know the, the basics of what's going on. Okay, Brother James, Miss Tracy, majority of us, okay. How many of you would say, I've read Job a lot. I do know what's going on. I'm, I'm very comfortable with it. Any fours or fives? Brother Darren, very good, very good. So is, is this kind of what's going on? You know what happens at the beginning of the book, and you know what happens at the end of the book. And you understand, for the most part, what's going on in the middle, but it's easy to get lost in the middle. I see a lot of heads shaking up and down. And, and this is what I remember. I remember one time where my brother and me were at a get-together with my Korean family. And uh, they all spoke Korean. My, my family did not. I mean, my dad did. Uh, but my family just did not speak Korean. And I remember there was a time where my dad and a couple other people got angry at each other and started communicating in Korean. And my brother, I was about to walk into the room, and my brother kind of grabbed me. He's like, we need to go. And I was like, why? What are they saying? And he just said, I don't know, but I can tell they're mad at each other. And is that kind of how you feel when you're reading in the middle of Job, and they're going back and forth? What are they saying? I don't know but I can tell they're really mad at each other, okay? So here's what I'm trying to do. Uh, I know that we know the basic gist of what's going on in the middle, but it's easy to get lost in the poetry, in in the constant back and forth a lot of times when Job is just trying to say, you know, for example, in Job chapter three, he basically says, why was I born? Why was I born if this is what I was going to go through? But he takes about 16 verses in order to say that, and he does it through a lot of poetry, so it's easy to get lost in that. So I'm going to try to help by breaking down these chapters into a more conversational format, basically giving a snapshot or a paraphrase of what is being said throughout the book. However, I want to preface this by saying paraphrasing can never replace God's word. Uh, We must not approach this week and next week, possibly, possibly the third week, we must not approach these messages on Job as anything more than dust when compared to reading God's word. On one hand, I truly hope that you'll listen to these messages, and I do believe that they can help shed light on the book. On the other hand, and much more so, I beg you just to read the book and pray and study through the book, and I know God will shed light on his word. Uh, The Bible says in Proverbs, I will make known my words unto you. Uh, One way that these messages may help is you may be able to pull them up later on, on YouTube or on the podcast and read through the chapter. And then maybe listen to the snapshot afterwards to help kind of break things down. But read God's word. Do you promise me to do that? Uh, do you promise, promise, promise? Okay? So this book can be divided into seven parts if you're taking notes. I'll make this we'll we'll take our time. Not a lot of notes tonight, so we, we have time. Part one is chapter one and two. Part two is three through fourteen. Part 3 is 15 through 21. Part 4 is 22 through 31. Part 5 is 32 through 37. Part 6 is 38 through 41. And the last part, part 7, is chapter 42. What is part 1? Chapter 1 and 2. That's Job's hardship. Part 2, 3, and 4 are conversation cycle 1, 2, and 3. I, I really spent a lot of time making these creative as, as creative as possible. Conversation cycle 1, chapter 3 through 14. Conversation cycle 2. Chapter 15 through 21, Conversation Cycle 3, Chapter 22 through 31. And if anyone, if you need me to repeat something, just raise your hand, please. Um, This is a book that I think many of us have have read and we want to understand. Let's uh, let's do it together. Uh, Part part 5, Chapter 32 through 37 is Elihu's Opinion. E-L-I-H-U. Elihu's Opinion. Part 6, chapter 38 through 41, is God speaking. Part 7, chapter 42, is the restoration of Job and his friends. Anybody need any of that repeated? Yes, ma'am, which one? Part 2, 3, and 4, so part 2 is chapter 3 through 14, which is conversation cycle 1. Part three is chapter 15 through 21, which is Conversation Cycle 2. And part uh, four is chapter 22 through 31, Conversation Cycle 3. Yes, ma'am. All right, are we ready to get into it? Chapter one. We are introduced to this man named Job. He is a non-Jew, but he is saved. And the Bible says um, we're introduced to Job by basically seeing this this heavenly vision where God is there and and the sons of God come and uh, Satan is even there as well. And they are giving a report of their activity in the world. And that shows you that angels, devils, and even the devil himself still is accountable to the Lord. And uh, the Lord presents Job to uh, Satan specifically and says, Hast thou considered my servant Job, in verse 8, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Uh, He had, the Bible calls him the greatest of all the men of the east because he was so wealthy. And he was, so, uh, he was so revered. He had seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses. And the Bible says a very great household. Uh, he was a religious man. He did many daily burnt offerings. He did them for his family. He did them for himself. Uh, and when God presents Job to Satan saying he's perfect and upright, Satan comes back and asks this question. Does Job serve God for naught? Do you think he's just serving you for nothing? He's serving you because you're blessing him. So take away those blessings and he's going to curse you to your face. Now here's a small application for us. The Bible says that Satan knew that there was a hedge about Job. How do you think he knew there was a hedge about Job? Because he had tried to get through it. The devil is always going to try to get through. So we stay within the hedge of God's will. We stay underneath the hedge of God's uh, spiritual authority that he gives to us. And of course his word. But look at what God says in verse 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And one by one, you know the story, Satan took everything Job had. Only The only thing that was left was himself, his wife, and a few servants. Look in verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. But... In chapter 2, Job's situation grows worse. Another day, the sons of God and Satan come to present themselves, and God says, hast thou considered my servant Job? He's still perfect and upright. He still maintains his integrity, even though you have brought this attack upon him. Satan says this, skin for skin. Man will give away anything as long as it would spare his life. Let me touch him. Let me touch his health. Let me touch his life, and then he's going to curse you to your face. And look at what God says in verse uh, 6. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Job's health quickly deteriorated. His own wife told him to curse God and die. Look in verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. You're speaking like somebody who doesn't know the Lord. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. And here is when we are introduced to Job's three friends. You have Eliphaz, the Temanite. You have Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite. And when they see Job, Job is so badly damaged, he's covered in sackcloth and ashes, They couldn't even recognize him, the Bible says. And when they couldn't even recognize him, they cried, they sat next to him for a week without saying anything. Now, when you read the statements that Job has already said, the Lord giveth, the Lord hath taken away. Should we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? Do we believe that Job understands what, let me put it this way. Job does understand that God can bless and God can curse. He understands that the Lord can give and take away to bring good and to bring evil. But he doesn't understand why. And throughout the rest of the book, Job and his friends are going to address that question. Why do bad things happen? Bad things did happen. Why? They cannot understand that. Job didn't understand that. And so we're going to come into the first conversation cycle here. And here's how these cycles work. You're going to have Job say something. And then you're going to have a friend, and it's always Eliphaz who's first. And Eliphaz is going to respond to Job's speech. And then Job is going to respond to Eliphaz. And then Bildad is going to respond to Job's response to Eliphaz. We following so far? And then Job is going to respond to Bildad's response And then Zophar is going to say his piece. And then the cycle's done. And then Job is going to start again. And then Eliphaz. And then Job to Eliphaz. And then Bildad to Job because of Eliphaz because of Job. And then Job to Bildad because of Job because of Eliphaz because of Job. And then Zophar because of Job because of Bildad because of Job because of Eliphaz because of Job. All right, we're done for the night. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So in chapter 3... Job curses his birth and wishes for death. And again, verse 1 through 16 is really all poetry. Why was I born? Why didn't I die at birth? Death is the only thing that would bring comfort to me. What is the point in living when everything that I feared the most has come to me? What do you do against things that you fear? You guard against them. You pray for them not to happen. Think of these sacrifices that he did for his sons and for his daughters. He said, they, maybe they did something against the Lord. And I want to have these sacrifices for them. And now Job is saying, what, what is there left to live for when the thing that I fear the most has come to me? So Eliphaz answers in chapter 4. And you can imagine it's been a week of silence. Now Eliphaz finally hears his good friend Job speaking. And they are good friends. He hears his friend Job speaking, and it's a shock to him to hear Job wishing for death. And look in verse 4, verse 1 and 2. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we assay to commune with thee, assay means to try. If we try to commune with thee, wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? You know what he's saying? Job, you're not going to like what I have to say, but I need to say it. If I try to speak to you, I know you're going to be grieved, but I can't keep it in to myself. And here's what he says to Job. He says, Job, you always talked a big game. And whenever somebody else went through some type of hardship, you are always there to comfort them. And you are always there to pick them up and tell them that everything's going to be okay. But now that it's happening to you, now that you're going through the hardship, you're fainting. And then he says this in verse 7 through 11, of all of those people that you have comforted before, can you think of one of those people who went through that hardship for no reason? Job, man's wickedness is the reason for God's punishment. You see what Eliphaz is saying to Job. And he starts describing this vision that he had in verse 12 through 21. How righteous and just God is and how wicked and foolish men are. And it leads into chapter 5. And he says in verse 1 through 5, forget about these visions that I've had of heaven and how just God is and how wicked men are. Just ask anybody. Ask anybody who knows about God. Um, Ask even the saints of the earth. And they will also tell you that wrath comes upon folly. And he says this in verse... Uh, Verse 2 Envy slayeth the silly one. Look at what he says in verse 4 His children are far from safety. Eliphaz is telling Job, Something you have done is the reason your children are dead. So Eliphaz continues. Basically says, Trouble doesn't just spring up from the ground, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. If trouble is springing up from the ground, that means that you must have planted seeds of sin. So Job, do you know what I would do? And he starts counseling him. Do you know what I would do? I would turn to the Lord. I would seek unto God. I would turn back to him and he would help you. And he starts listing off all these characteristics of God, how God is merciful and forgiving and all these different things. And Eliphaz says, Job, if you would just confess what you did and take your punishment, then everything would be well. Pause. Is that not true, what Eliphaz is saying, that God is very forgiving and that when you turn to him, he will forgive you and he will move on? Yes, it's very true. But it's all based off of the wrong assumption that Job had sinned. And we know from what God said, he was a perfect and upright man, one who feared the Lord and eschewed evil. He had the wrong assumption. So to answer the question, why do bad things happen, this is Eliphaz's answer. Bad things happen when you do bad things. So get right with the Lord. So Job answers. And look in chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were throughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. I don't think Eliphaz's speech worked. In verse four through seven, he says, Eliphaz, you are adding to my burden. Not only are the arrows of the almighty within me, now my own friend is falsely accusing me. And he just goes forward and says, I, I wish God would just let me die. I have no strength left. You should be pitying me you should be pitying me, but instead you're condemning me. This is the time that I need you the most and you aren't there for me. And then he says, I didn't ask for your counsel. Eliphaz is, you know what I would do. Have you ever had somebody do that? They have never been through your situation before. They've never dealt with what you've dealt with before. And they come up and say, you know what I would do without you? Well, you've never been in my position. And Job is saying, I'm, I'm, I didn't Ask for your counsel. And he says, you seem to believe that I have sinned. Okay, tell me what I've done wrong. And he asked Eliphaz that question. Tell me what I've done wrong. Is what you have said to me supposed to help? You're overwhelming me. And Job says, do you think I'm lying to you? Don't you think I would know if I had sinned? Do you think that I'm lying to you? In chapter 7, he continues. And he basically says, look at me. Look at my life. And you have to picture Job in sackcloth and ashes with boils from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head. He's been scraping them with, with, with pottery just to get relief. And Job says, look at me. I can see him holding out his arms like this. And he's sitting in the ashes of the house that was burnt down where all of his children died. And can you, can you picture Job saying, look at me. He's saying, there's there's no point in living anymore. I can't sleep. My health is gone. And he starts praying to God in verse 7 through 21 of chapter 7. And he prefaces his prayer by saying, Lord, I know that I'm alive, but I am as good as dead. Look in chapter 7, verse 11. Therefore, since I'm as good as dead, therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. He has a question for God. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? He's basically saying, am I, am I so unruly? Am I so strong that God needs to keep me in check? And he says in verse 13 through 16, Even when I sleep... And this comes up later. He says, even when I sleep, God fills my head with bad dreams. My life is so bad, I would rather die. God, how long is this going on? Now look in verse 20. What are the first three words of verse 20? I have sinned. Okay, hold on to that for a little bit. He says, I have sinned. What is he saying? No, I'm not a sinless man. I am not a sinless man. But God, how can I make peace with you? It feels like you've set a mark against me. Why won't you forgive me? And Lord, if you don't forgive me, then then I can't last another day like this. Now, was Job admitting that sin was the cause of his suffering? No. But he was saying to Eliphaz, because what is Eliphaz's accusation? Bad things happen when you do bad things. And Job is coming back and saying, well, Eliphaz, of course I'm a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. But I haven't done anything to merit this. And even though I am a sinner, God is a God who is ready to forgive. Why doesn't God forgive me? Now here's where Bildad comes in. Are you following so far? Okay. Here's where Bildad comes in. Are you going to question God? Because Job says, why isn't he forgiving me? And why why has all this happened when I know I haven't done anything? Are you going to question God? And that's what he says in uh, in chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Are you going to question his justice? And look in verse 4. He basically says, maybe it's your children. Maybe your children sinned against him. Maybe that's why they're dead. Maybe that's why you're going through what you're going through. Holy cow. Can you imagine what Job is going through right now? And he says in verse 5 through 7, Job, if you were truly upright, does this sound familiar? Then God would make your end better than your beginning. Ding, ding, ding. That's actually exactly what's going to happen. Okay? And then he says in verse 8 through 19, he says, look, Job, this is all we're saying. All we're saying is that when we look back in the past experiences, whenever somebody else has gone through what you're going through, it's because they were a hypocrite. And they forgot God. God doesn't do this to perfect people. So that is basically proof that you messed up. So Job is going to respond. Look in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? So your argument is that only unjust men are punished. Okay, tell me, Bildad, who could ever be perfectly just with God? That's a good point. And he goes on through the rest of the chapter. He says, who can stand before a God so wonderful and perfect as our God? And he starts listing off all these characteristics of God. This is common throughout the book. Job is basically displaying his knowledge about God. Eliphaz has already done that. God is this, and he's this, and he's this. And Job basically comes back and says, yes, I know that God is this. He's also this, and this, and this, and this. You're going to have to keep that in your pocket for at least a week. Okay, But these lists about God are common throughout the book. Look at verse 12. Look at what Job says about God in chapter 9, verse 12. Behold, he taketh away who can hinder him. Who will say unto him, what doest thou? Job is saying, I know who God is. And knowing who God is, who can question anything that he does? Remember, Bildad's problem with Job was that he was questioning God's justice. Job is coming back and he's saying, I'm not questioning him, but I am praying to him. I am lifting up my supplication to him. But I'll be honest, he goes on to say, even if God answered my prayer, I still would not believe that God had hearkened unto my voice. Because look at how bad things are. He won't even let me breathe. Look at what he says in verse 17 of chapter 9. He breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. That's going to come back up later. And then let's look in verse 19 through 22. Look at what Job says. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if I of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. This is one thing, therefore I said it. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. You can't judge a man's inner character by his outward circumstances, is what Job is saying. My life is falling apart. Even if if I were perfect, God could still choose to judge me because he's God. And Job honestly doesn't know what to say about that. So he continues in chapter 10, and this is where Job truly opens his heart before God. He says, God, since I'm ready to die anyway, and I really have nothing to lose, I have a question. Lord, why are you doing this to me? He says in verse 3 through 6, is it good? Let's just read it. We're just going to read verse 3 through 15 of chapter 10. Is it good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands, and shine upon the counsel of the wicked? Hast thou eyes of flesh, or seeth thou as man seeth? Are thy days as the days of man? Are thy years as man's days? That thou inquirest after my iniquity, and searchest after my sin? Thou knowest that I am not wicked, and there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, yet thou dost destroy me. Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as the clay, and wilt thou bring me into dust again? Hast thou not poured me out as milk and curdled me like cheese? Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh. Thou hast fenced me with bones and sinews. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation has preserved my spirit. And these things hast thou hid in thine heart. I know that this is with thee. If I sin, then thou markest me, and thou wilt not acquit me from mine iniquity. If I be wicked, woe unto me. And if I be righteous, yet I will not lift up my head. I am full of confusion. Therefore, see thou mine affliction. Did you follow that? What Job is saying to the Lord? And ending with, I just don't understand what's going on. Lord, things are so bad. They're only going to get worse. Is this why I was born? And if this is why I was born, then please just let me die. That's Job's prayer. I wrote this down in my Bible. Job's point was was not to prove whether he was righteous or not. Because he knew that would be foolish. If I say that I'm perfect, I'm condemning myself. His point was that God could bring trials on both good and bad people... But he had a hard time understanding why this was the case. He knew he was a sinner, but then he tells the Lord, Lord, you know that I'm not wicked. So that's why he was so confused. He just wanted to understand why this was all happening. So follow me again. Eliphaz says, bad things happen because we do bad things. Job answers, what did I do wrong? Yes, I'm a sinner, but everybody is. So why is God doing this to me? Bildad says, don't question God, just take your punishment. Job comes back and says, I'm not questioning what God is doing. He can do whatever he wants to whoever he wants. I'm just saying I don't understand it. I know who God is, and this doesn't seem like something God would do. I don't understand why he would choose to bring divine judgment on somebody who's innocent. But if I say I'm innocent, I condemn myself because nobody's perfect. Honestly, the only thing that sounds good to me right now is dying. That's what's going on with Job. Now Zophar responds. In, verse, in chapter 11. You know what Zophar says? Job, you're lying, and we're not going to stand for it. You obviously did something wrong. Come on. Job, you're lying. Your argument is that you're innocent and your doctrine is pure. Oh, man, Job, I wish that God would answer you. He would show you he is twice the God that you think he is. And I guarantee you, as bad as this trial is, you deserve a lot worse. That's what he says. Look in uh, chapter 11, verse 6. And that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is, know therefore that God exacteth of thee, less than thine iniquity deserveth. Is that true? Yes, we deserve hell. But again, kind of based off the wrong assumption here. He starts giving his own description of God's perfection. God's perfection is so much more than we will ever know. And God knows who is vain. God sees all the wickedness. And Job, if you would just get right, the same perfect God who punishes the wicked would forgive you and restore you. But if you keep lying, you're right. Your only hope is to die. Job answers in chapter 12. And he says, You are not telling me anything that I don't know. You are no more wise than I am. You are a man just like me, and yet you're mocking me. You're mocking me and treating me like I'm a fool. Have you ever had somebody try to explain a situation to you that you knew what was going on, and they were explaining it in such a dumbed-down way? And it, it made you feel like, okay, this guy obviously doesn't think I know anything. And Job is basically saying that. I, I know what you know. I'm a man like you are. You don't know anything about God that I don't know about God. Um, And he says this, just because I'm brought low and you are at ease doesn't mean that you're better than me. And he says, your argument is that God only punishes the wicked. Actually, the wicked in the world are usually the most prosperous, is what Job comes back with. And he again expounds on the characteristics of God and what God does man cannot undo Both the deceived and the deceiver are in God's hand. God withholds. God gives. God makes judges into fools. He increases nations. He destroys them. He can bring light out of darkness. He continues in chapter 13. He says, I know everything about God that you know about him, and that's why I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to God. And look in verse 4 of chapter 13. Uh, Verse three, surely I would speak to the almighty and I desire to reason with God, but ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace and it should be your wisdom. Oh, you tell him, Job. And he says this, now you've, you've said your peace. Now it's my turn. And four times throughout the chapter in verse five, verse six, verse 13 and verse 17, he basically tells him, stop talking and start listening to me. And he says this, You have taken it as your place to speak for God. What if God searched you out? Would he not find sin in you? He would find three men mocking another man. And he would surely reprove you. And does that not frighten you? Look in verse 14. Wherefore do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before Him. He also shall be my salvation, for an hypocrite shall not come before Him. What is Job saying? He is saying, how do I explain this in the best way? Oh goodness. He basically is saying I'm tr- I trust God completely, but I'm not going to admit to sin that I haven't committed. Because what is his friend saying? Job, you must have done something and you're not telling us. He's saying, no, I'm not a hypocrite. I trust him. I understand he can do what he wants with me. But I'm going to maintain my cause before him that I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not going to be a hypocrite in that. And I know that I will be justified in what I say. That's why I'm saying it. If I were to hold my tongue, I would give up the ghost. And he begins praying again to God at the end of the chapter. He says, God, please remove your hand of judgment against me. Let not your dread make me afraid. And he says this, Lord, if I sinned, how badly must I have sinned to merit this? Lord, I don't think I would have missed what I had done to deserve this. Lord, show me if there's something I've done wrong, show me what I've done wrong. Why won't you answer me? You've put my feet in stocks, is what Job says about God. In chapter 14, he continues and he says, Lord, I know who I am. My life is short. My life is sorrowful. My life is sinful. And all men are that way. No men are different. Look in verse four. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. I know that I was born into sin. But Lord, seeing that I am so frail, could you please let me rest? And he, he brings up something to the Lord. He says, Lord, even when we cut down a tree, there's hope that it will spring up again. But when you cut down man, man just dies. There's no way that he's going to spring up again. And he says, I wish I were like that tree where you could cut me down and you could just be done with your angry with me and then I could come back. But if a man die, shall he live again? I feel like you're against me. And this ends the first cycle here. So how have we so far answered the question of why bad things happen. The friends say bad things happen because we do bad things, get it right. Job's answer is bad things happen to anybody. I know I've done nothing to deserve this. I am right with God and yet I'm still being punished. I know who God is. This doesn't seem like something he would do. I wish I could reason with God, but I can't, so I'd rather just die. Eliphaz comes up in verse uh, in chapter 15. And he says, Job, everything that you are saying just proves to me that you're wrong. Do you think you know everything? Do you think you know more than us? Job, we're older than you. Some of us are old enough to be your father. You don't know more than than us. And he says, why are you speaking like this against God? Even the heavens aren't clean to God. How much more abominable and filthy is man? You're going down this path of destruction, and no man stretches his hand out against God and prevails." What Eliphaz is saying is true, but he's wrong in applying it to Job. So Job responds. And he says, I know all of this. Look in chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I could also speak as ye do. If I were in your position, I could heap words against you too, but I would try to encourage you. Look in verse 6. Though I speak, my grief is not assuaged. Though I forbear, what am I ease? Basically saying I can't win. My own friends have turned against me. God has delivered me to the ungodly. He lists off this horrible description of his suffering. Look in verse 17. Why is he suffering? Not for any injustice in mine hands. Also, my prayer is pure. And he says, God knows what I'm saying is true. I wish I could plead my case before him. But again, he says, it appears all I have left to do is die. Chapter 17, he prays. We're going to go to chapter 21 and then we'll be done. Job prays to God and he prays for God to deal with his friends. He says, God, I want you to deal with them for the false accusations that they are bringing against me. And then he prays and he says, Lord, I'm praying that other righteous men, when they hear my story, would be encouraged And not just take it as an opportunity to tear me down. That's what I'm praying for. And uh, he basically says in every way I'm ready to die. I'm done with this. Why? Because his friends keep saying, Job, if you would just get right with God, if you would turn back to God, he would comfort you. And Job is coming back and saying, I never turned away from God. So therefore the only comfort is to die because then I would be with God. Bildad speaks the second time, and he says, Job, are you done yet? Get it all out now. Get it all out now so that we can talk. Look in verse 3 of verse, uh, chapter 18. Wherefore are we counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight? I mean, Bildad is angry because Job has basically said, You're physicians of no value. You're no help to me. You're terrible friends. What, we are your friends. Are we beasts to you? Why, are you? why are you tearing us down? And he basically tells Job, Job, the world doesn't revolve around you. What is happening to you is a sure sign of punishment for your sin. Look at what Bildad says to Job in verse 19. This is what happens to the wicked, Job. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people nor any remaining in his dwellings. They that come after him shall be astonished at his day as they that went before were affrighted. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked. And this is the place, I could see him opening up his eyes to Job's surroundings and saying, this is the place of him that knoweth not God. You know Job is gonna answer to that. Verse two, how long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? He says, there are three things that are happening to me. I am overthrown God is the one who has overthrown me, and nobody is hearing my cry, not even my friends. And he starts listing off all these griefs. God has stripped me of my glory. God's angry with me. He's counted me as an enemy. My friends and my family have forgotten me. My servants are gone. My breath is strange to my wife. Little children walk by and despise me. And now even my best friends abhor me. Look in verse 21 and 22. Have pity upon me. Have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Why do you persecute me as God and are not satisfied with my flesh? Now we have reached the key point in Job's defense. He's made it clear that he believes he's innocent, and yet he is being horribly tried. But look at what he says in verse 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. Job, if you only knew. "...that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. Mine eyes shall behold him, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me." Even though in this life I am persecuted, I know that my Savior is alive. And therefore, even when I'm dead, I will also live with him. But then he looks at his friends and says, why are you persecuting me? You're sinners too. (laughs) And he says, the same judgment that you are wanting to bring on me can come on you as well. And Zophar is going to respond. And he says, Job, I have something to say, but I'm going to keep it short. It has always been the case that wicked people are cut down. Job, I guess you're really good at hiding it, but deep down you must know what you've done wrong. Sure, sure, maybe on the outside it looked like everything was good, but now God's brought you down. Maybe the inside was wrong, even though it seemed for a while that you were doing well. Now you're obviously not. That's basically proof that you did something wrong. Job's getting nowhere with his friends. And Job answers in chapter 21, And it's at this point that Job finally realizes, okay, my friends are having no pity on me. So he's going to switch his argument. His first argument has been, I am innocent. Now his point is going to be to attack their argument. Their argument that bad things only happen to bad people. So look in verse 3. Suffer me that I may speak. After that I have spoken, mock on. You can say what you want. And you may be astonished at this, but he says, lay your hand upon your mouth. That's a really nice way of saying you just need to be quiet for a little bit. He says, think of how the wicked actually prosper in this world. And their prosperity leads them to completely reject God. And God often cuts them down in their unbelief. But God doesn't do that all the time. Sometimes wicked people live their entire life in wickedness. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. So your argument is that God only judges wicked men is wrong. You're speaking wrong about God. And look in verse 27 of chapter 21. Behold, I know your thoughts and the devices which ye wrongfully imagine against me. And then he says in the rest of the chapter, the judgment of the wicked is usually not in this life. It's in the next life. It's when they go to hell. And look in verse 34. How then comfort ye me in vain, seeing in your answers there remaineth falsehood? So have you followed so far in this conversational style? In the second cycle, the friends maintain their belief that Job has sinned. Job maintains his innocence. He tries to obtain pity at first from his friends, but they give him none. So he shifts his argument to attack their argument that bad things only happen to bad people. His first way of attacking the argument is by saying bad things must not only happen to bad people because I'm not a bad person. Now, they don't believe that, do they? But Job says, I'm not a bad person. In fact, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and one day I'm going to be in heaven someday. So no, I'm not a wicked man. That didn't work with them. So now he comes back and says bad things don't only happen to bad people because many bad people live very good lives, but they do go to hell. Now that Job has presented the prosperity of the wicked, basically as sometimes it just happens, he means that in a way that the friends take completely wrong. He is basically saying, look, there are some times that God allows wicked people to live wickedly. Eliphaz and the friends are going to take that as, oh, so God rewards wickedness? And that's where the third cycle is going to begin. It's frustrating isn't it? Now we're done. Okay. But we're not even to the good part yet. Trust me. Okay. Here's how I'm going to apply this today. Would you turn to me with me to Proverbs chapter 18? Proverbs chapter 18. And look at verse 13. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and a shame to him. Does that sound like Job's friends? Okay, so much of what the friends were saying as far as getting right with God, God's character, God's forgiveness, they're all true. But they didn't know the whole matter. Even though their heart may have been in the right place, they truly cared about Job. For thousands of years now, Job's friends have not been looked at as wise they've been looked at as fools because they did not know the entire matter. There's a commercial that I saw one time and I want you to visualize it with me. It's a camera shot looking down the street and there's two men in the camera. One of them is a police officer and one of them is dressed kind of like a troublemaker. Okay, And the first shot is the troublemaker turning around and running straight towards the camera and the policeman yelling and running after him. So what impression does that give us? Well, we got a criminal right here running away from the cops. Then it shows a different angle. You see the the we'll call him criminal looking man. You see the criminal looking man running like you did in the first shot, but now it's from behind and he's actually running at somebody. And at the very end and you see the cop following behind him and at the very end that criminal looking man grabs the other man. Okay, now what is the story telling us? The policeman is trying to stop this man from assaulting the other. But then the last shot zooms out, and you see that right above the man that the criminal-looking man grabbed is a pallet that is tipping over, and it's about to fall on him. So then what do we learn? No, it's a man who sees another man in trouble going, grabbing him out of the way, and then the policeman comes at the end and makes sure everything's okay. It's very easy to jump to conclusions. And that is exactly what's happening with Job and their friends. So we, here's, here is my application. We have to be so careful before we speak to anybody or against anybody. We may not know the whole matter. And what we may mean to help can actually bring much hurt now, even if we do know the entire matter, there's another thing that we need to think of, and you don't need to turn there. I will read it to you. It is probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Judge not that ye be not judged. Now, they don't read the next two verses, where it says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why, why beholdest thou the mote that is in my brother's eye, which is basically like a, a cross tie. Why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the... Uh, no, no, moat is a toothpick, like a toothpick. Yes, sir. Moat is a toothpick. A beam is like a cross tie, okay? So why are you going up to your friend? You got a little schmutz right there. You got a toothpick sticking out of your eye, and you're walking up to him with a railroad tie sticking out of yours. And Jesus says, thou hypocrite, first deal with this, and then you can help them deal with that. Judge not that you be not judged. Hey, how dare you have a toothpick in your eye? And what do you look back and say? Hypocrite, you have, a, you have a railroad tie sticking out of yours. And what do people say? Whenever you point at somebody, one finger is pointing towards them. You got three pointing back at you. And whenever you open, whenever you judge somebody else, you are going to open up yourself to be judged. Because think of what the men were saying. You're a sinner, Job. You're a sinner. That's why this is happening to you. And Job looks right back and says, "And you're not." And so <laughs> then the friends say, "Well, you must be a bigger one. Maybe you're good at hiding it, but you must be a bigger one than us." And that's why John 7:24 Jesus says, "Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment." and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where this church is dealing with a young man who's fallen in a sin he says wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall because there ha- there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man there's an old friend of mine who got out of church for a while he was wrong with the Lord. He knew he was wrong with the Lord. I was working on him. I was praying for him. He joined the military. He got out of, of God's will. He was messing around with drinking and just doing things that he wasn't supposed to do. But he comes back home and he called me and he says, I'm, I'm done running from God. I want to come back to church. I said, that's wonderful. The first night he comes back to church, one of the men in that church goes up to him. Where have you been? Where have you been? You know better than that. Why have you been out of church? And that same man today who reprimanded my friend is not in church anymore. And who is the first person to hear about it? My friend. And he calls back. And by the way, my friend is still in church. And he calls me and he says, I want to call that man and say, you know better. I said, you can't do that. But listen, when we see somebody who can be judged for something, we could just as easily be in that same boat. So does it mean we never judge anybody? No, no, we're we're supposed to judge the world. But if we're supposed to judge the world, make sure nobody can point right back at you and say, oh, and you're not doing the same thing? Be very careful. Instead of being so quick to judge, be quick to pray for that person and be quick to pray that we don't find ourselves in that same boat. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.